even as I like glimpse something that I know is true about love, it's still not all of it. For me, that feels really hopeful. Right now, I'm, I'm really kind of grappling with the, the grief and the sadness and the, the loss of that is embedded in love. It doesn't feel hopeless to kind of land there because underneath all of that is a kaleidoscope, one glimpse of love. In a few months' time, in a few years' time, that kaleidoscope will have shifted and I will have learned something new about the texture of love. It's Uncommon Good, the podcast where we chat to ordinary people doing uncommon good in service of our common humanity. I'm Polly Reese. Fam, I am delighted, delighted to bring to you today Erendira Jimenez Esquinca. Erendira is the host and creator of the podcast I Don't Know and of the online learning platform Spirit School, a tool, a container that she is building where the work of decolonizing Christianity can happen. A quick content warning off the top, we do talk a lot about grief, loss, trauma, divorce, and Christian hegemony. So if these things are not right for you to listen to, feel free, switch this one off, and we will catch you in the next one. We go on to talk about how Erendira is redefining her relationship with Christianity, how she is listening to the body, how she is paying attention to grief, and following love wherever it leads all in service of deepening the spiritual life. It was an incredible privilege and honor to get to chat to Ed Indira on this one, to catch up a little bit since our times in Divinity School. Please enjoy my chat to Ed Indira Jimenez Esquinca. I, I cannot explain like how incredibly excited I am that you're he- here, um, Ed Indira. Thanks, thanks for doing the show. Thanks, Polly. I'm excited. Um, so the question that I, I want to get started with, um, what sort of things are inspiring you right now that sort of lifts you up and brings you, brings you some joy at the moment? Mm, that's a fun question. Um, well, I think on a very just like basic level, I started taking tap dancing classes. <laughs> so, what? Yeah. I, um. Uh, I tap, I tap danced very briefly when I was a child um, for um, like a musical that we did, and I loved it. And then when I was in New Orleans a few months ago, I was walking into um, this thrift store, and I found a pair of shoes that fit me perfectly. And I was like, I think this is a sign. So uh, it took me two months, I got, but I got into dance classes, and then on the first day of my class, the shoes broke. <laughs> so I bought new shoes, um, but it was it was good. It was like it got me in the door, and I've been going for a few weeks, and it's super silly, and I'm really bad, um, and also I'm not as bad as I think I am. So it's <laughs> um, I'm in this class with. I think the next youngest person is probably in their like late 40s um, all the way up into I think the oldest person's in their 70s. Um, So it's fun. Uh, We're all just kind of learning some basic steps together. Uh, So that's lighting me up. Um, And then that's beautiful. Yeah, it's really fun. It's really fun. So there there are two things before you go on to the (laughs) next thing. There are two things that I just want. I just want to grab one Uh um, New Orleans, at least for me. 
best like adult vacation weekend in the country? Well, I got COVID on like my second day there of a week long trip. So (laughs) that was not great. I was basically stuck in my hotel room for um, many days, but it was okay. You got you got to know you got to know the decor of your hotel room exactly. very well. Exactly. It became like a, a mini sort of like an unanticipated like monastic cell. Yeah, it's a nice nice way of putting it. <laughs> but I have been before, and it really is. New Orleans is fantastic. Yes. Yeah. And then, um, so the tap you. So you did it when in childhood, which which mm-hmm. I think is amazing. What what musical was it? Oh, uh, crazy for you. That's a that's a Gershwin musical, uh-huh. isn't it? Uh huh. I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Um, yep. I was a folly girl, is what we were called. Do you remember anything from the experience of like doing the show and like oh my gosh. like childhood Arandira like being excited about tap and and yeah. the world of the great American music. Yeah, I um, I remember a lot about it. Uh, so <laughs> it's woo, taking me back. Um, so I think there's like one scene that was so cool. So uh, so kind of to preface it, um, the teacher that ran the musical program, um, he was also really connected with the San Diego Comic Opera. So he was connected with like the local theater companies. Um, so these were like not like like half-assed productions. They were very, like very elaborate. Um, so there's this scene in Crazy for You. So it like starts off in New York and um, there's like the the director of the show and he has all of his like folly girls and we wore uh, flapper dresses. And so I had this <laughs> teal flapper dress that I was obsessed with. Um, teal <laughs> flapper tassels, amazing. And we would like all come out like flapping. Like the first scene is us like flapping onto the stage with our little tap shoes. And then um, the main character somehow like ends up somewhere in the Southwest. Uh, and so there's this like scene where we're like in a bar and um, the, I guess the cowboys or whatever are like playing jugs and it's, it's, it's <laughs> I, I don't know. It was so ridiculous. And then there's this like tap scene. So we're like tapping and there's like, the jug horns going and I don't know who is doing the music. Uh, and then the tap of the scene ends where we like get up in a line and uh, we fall into each other. So we like, we basically like domino into each other. Um, we like practice this for weeks and weeks. And so we all learn how to fall so that our legs like kind of like slid out. And then the last person was one of the boys and they like caught us. And so there's like 10 of us that just like all the way into the ground, 10 years old. Steve choreographed dance. I know. It was amazing. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that, I know. That's a, well, one, that's, a, that's amazing. Um, 
two, the I I one hundred percent believe the art of like the fight choreography level oh, precision yeah. that it takes to fall and not like fracture a hip even at like twelve or or whenever. Sure. It was so good. It was so good. Yeah, I would have. I think I would have loved to keep doing theater, um, but it was not something my parents wanted me to do long term. So I did do a couple of shows with uh, with the comic opera when I was like, ten to twelve. I did um, a musical called Man on the Moon, and then we did Pirates of Penzance. That was like with like professional actors, um, and those are very very cool for this little young person. <laughs> absolutely yeah um yeah like being being a male voiced person um a male bodied person that, that that i am um like those sort of patter song roles are like one of the first things that you learn like mm-hmm. if you did like a bachelor's degree like in voice performance which i did so it's like what fun yeah it was great <laughs> so anyway now i'm back <laughs> trying to tap uh but some of that muscle memory is still there so you know to switch she's like it's, a, it's in, or, it's in yeah. the body yeah exactly it's fun i feel like fun is so important like mm-hmm. in, in the world that we live in where there's a lot of things that are decidedly like what that we need to endure that are decidedly less fun definitely you know um mm-hmm. so yay brilliant amazing yeah um, yeah. What else is in that like that list of that that space of like inspiration and like hope and and joy mm-hmm. right now? Yeah. Um. So I am also I would say two more things. So one of them is uh, I study human designs. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that system, but um, I've been kind of engaging, learning. It's uh. It's kind of a synthesis of astrology and I Ching and chakra centers. And um, it's a really beautiful way of, and some like uh, physics and stuff as well. We talked about neutrinos. Um, but it's a really neat way of thinking about energetics and like the ways that um, we carry energy in our bodies and the ways that we move energy out into the world. Um, and it's a system and there's like logic that's a part of it, but also it's very abstract and very intuitive. Um, so it's fun for me to kind of learn something uh, in a very kind of like linear, rational, logical way. But then also there's a lot of space in the system to just kind of feel your way through it. Um, so I, I study that and I have a teacher and we meet once a month and then I do my reading on the side and that's just really exciting. I'm gonna start offering readings and stuff hopefully soon. Um, because I think it's a really helpful language in terms of expanding archetypes and um, expanding um, just like spiritual language uh, that connects us to ourselves, but also the collective. And so I just think it's great. Yeah. And then lastly, I'm making my zines. So that's just always an adventure. <laughs> do you have, um, do, you, do you do like all the print and like the, the production of, of like the, the physical work at, at home or do you have like a print shop like locally like no so i do it all online and then i send it off to a printer and the printer prints it and then i get the copies but i do all of the formatting obviously all of the writing all of the yeah. design yeah tell me tell me about the most recent one like are um or is it is it a prose project poetry a mix of both 
Um, so I did my first round of zines last year. Um, and two of them were prose. One of them was more like mm, abstract thoughts. Uh, this round, um, two of them are, yeah, prose. One's more of like an essay. Um, one is, um, it's going to be a lot. I'm still trying to figure out how long it's going to be. And then I have one that's like more poetry and images. So the one that's poetry and images uh, is kind of um, thinking about like time and space and location and um, just kind of the the ways that we like sh are shaped by land and transform as we like move through time and space. Um, those are more just like, yeah, poems and and more abstract thoughts. And then I have uh, an essay on kind of the ethics of becoming and like dwelling in belovedness and, you know, exploring um, the connection between belovedness and becoming and what does that mean for our relationships with others. Um, and then the last one, the one that I'm still like editing a lot of writing for is called Expanding Love. And so that's a little bit more of like my um, own personal explorations of, uh, you know, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, intimacy, love, home, self, the divine, <laughs> you know, just light stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. like bedtime reading. Exactly. Like, like, <laughs> like. Like bathroom reading, like <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, it just sort yeah. of sits. It, it it sits in the place where the TV guy used to be, uh -huh. and you sort of exactly. pick it up, read a paragraph or two, and put it right back down, yeah. and then yeah, I'm uh -huh. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that that's like the biggest project. The other two are pretty easy. They just I just need to do some light editing with them. But the expanding love is, um, just writing that I did over the course of a year. And so I'm really trying to distill it into, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be distilled into. A story, but also imaginations and also uh, uncertainties and questions that still are there. So I think when you talk about mm. love, there's not really a lot of, I think there's solid things that we can land on and there's always still so much mystery. So it really, I think it like leaves a lot of the mystery hanging. Yeah. I'm, and, and I wanted to talk about that. Like as we were getting ready and like we were, okay. we were getting ready for the podcast, one of the things that you mentioned is just this question. Um, what is love? Baby, don't uh, hurt me. Don't hurt me. Well, not that last <laughs> part, but, but like that's, that's, that's such a good question. And I feel like yeah. it's not something that we ever just really ask that question unironically right <clears throat> trying and tr and trying to piece that apart from all of the ways that we know it from having experienced what we think it is um so so i'd love to hear a little bit more about sort of like what's kicking around up there like in the noggin i think one of the reasons that love can feel so overwhelming or intimidating or scary um, I, I know that for me, when I like come into relationships that feel like really loving, um, they also activate, um, really old wounds and fears 
and um, stories that um, are not true necessarily, but are embedded deep enough that they feel true in the moment. And so um, I think to really encounter love is always an invitation to transformation. Um, It's like, I just don't think that love is static. And so there's always an element of change that's involved in loving and being loved. And the more that I learn about change, um, like it's just like there's always going to be feelings of like loss and grief um, that accompany that as well. Um, I think there's just like no way to change without letting go. And, and when you let go, inevitably there is like a loss um, and, and yeah. that process of, of just like sadness of like, wow, maybe this served me really well at one point, but it's not anymore. And that means I'm going to have to like let go of certain relationship dynamics or certain like ideas about myself or certain um, patterns that like kept me safe, but actually were not really keeping me safe. And um, grieving yeah. the the people that were a part of that formation, grieving, um, yeah, all sorts of things. And so I think the love part um, for me right now just feels a lot more about like vulnerability and transparency and learning how to um allow myself to be seen and known in ways that are really terrifying because it means that i won't stay the same (laughs) so i think one of the things that i'm hearing is that to experience love in the way that you are describing is to experience change and because change involves a sense of releasing loss grief to experience love is to participate in a in an experience of of loss or or maybe grief is that yeah is, i think that's that definitely a transitive part of property no 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 i think i think that's a big part of it um i think for me that's like one of the reasons why i sometimes find love really like difficult to to stay in um is because there even as there's like all of these like highs and joys and um like like light and beautiful moments like even as i'm moving through like that beauty there's also this like inevitable um this is like, I am going to change through that love. And as I change through that love, um, and as you change through that love, like we're both like whoever I'm relating to, whether that's a parent, whether that's a sibling, whether that's a, a lover, whether that's a friend, um, whether that's myself, like as I am engaging in this like dynamic of exchange, um, we're not ever going to be in the same, like we're never going to be the same people again in this moment. And that is both like beautiful (laughs) and like devastating Um, to know that like this moment that we're glimpsing um, is like asking, like asking for our becoming. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, I try not to dwell on the sadness too much, but I think it's always there for me. Um, But I, I don't think that that like grief or sadness is like, a bad thing or something that is meant to be 
avoided or escaped. That I think is is at least for for me one it resonates um, for for me personally like Your thinking favorite. thinking about like my experience of love and loss and 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 grief by definition. Um, it seem it seems like so much easier to carry if that's like built into love by by design rather yeah. than necessarily being something that is an unfortunate like consequence of love i guess right I, yeah exactly. i don't even know if they're different um yeah no i, th- I think you're naming something that i i don't quite have the words for you and i think i'm still in this process of of excavating and discovering but i think that if there is room for grief and sadness in love then it actually opens us up to loving in uh like deeper and more vulnerable ways everything old is new again and and consequently mm-hmm. i suppose everything new is all everything new is old again but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it feels like such timeless wisdom um but it also feels so new at the same time yeah there's so much of your there's so much of yourself of of who you are that changes because of the experience of love and the loss and grief that are attached right and also the beauty um like two sides of the same coin perhaps is there anything that you notice that feels like like through all of that love and all of that change feels largely the same yeah i mean i think i think the things that feel the same are this like sense of unknowing and mystery and uh, kind of expansiveness um, that there's just like so much room to like discover Um, that even as I say these things about love that there is like continue to be like more intricacies more things that i just don't know that like remain to be encountered um so even as i like glimpse something that i know is true about love it's still not all of it and i think for me that feels really um hopeful that you know even as i um right now i'm I'm really kind of grappling with the the grief and the sadness and the the loss of that is embedded in love um, that, that that doesn't feel um, doesn't feel hopeless to me to kind of land there because underneath all of that is that it's just like a kaleidoscope, right? Like it's just this like one glimpse of love, and hopefully, in a few months' time, in a few years' time, that kaleidoscope will have shifted, and I will have learned something new about the I don't know the texture of love. Uh, and so that's this continual like learning that we all get to do. And so I get I'm glimpsing something right now that feels really hard and heartbreaking and um, beautiful in this like kind of melancholy sort of a way. And like it doesn't stop there. Like, again, because I'm changing, exactly. you're changing, love is changing. And so with another shift, I will kind of learn about another aspect of love i guess i'm basically just saying that like love feels fractal and that is true always thinking about like the the toy kaleidoscope from childhood and how beautiful that was and that the Mm -hmm. beauty is that it was always different even though all of the components were exactly the same right and it would be much less interesting if it were always the same picture yeah yeah so 
walk me through the journey that gets you to today. Um, <clears throat> because I'm like, I know you from the time that we were together as um, students at, at Yale, specifically Berkeley Divinity okay. School at Yale. Um, but, but tell me, tell me like, how does, how does, um, how does, um, Aaron Dira Jimenez from <laughs> like, however many <laughs> years ago, um, yes. Wait, in this moment, <laughs> talking about to, love in this way. Yeah. What's, what's the journey like? <laughs> I think it goes back to, um, my great grandmother. Um, and yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess I will share that um, the zine um, is not a one-off. It's it's a piece of the work that I do through my business called Spirit School. And so um, it is, um, Spirit School is what I, I like to call a decolonial learning and support container. And so it is a space for um, yeah, kind of unraveling uh, the stories, the practices, the communities that support our connection to the divine and to ourselves. And so, um, and uh, I think in the context of spirit school, that's decolonizing church and decolonizing spirituality and kind of um, working to unravel ourselves and our stories from um, the lineages and systems of oppression colonialism, imperialism, capitalism, patriarchy, white supremacy, um, that are just like deeply embedded in us. And so, um, that's, that's where the zine comes from. It comes from the work that I do in that context. And so, uh, that work starts, um, with my great grandmother because my great grandmother is Soke. She is from Chiapas, Mexico. Um, she's indigenous and she, um, was not born. Uh, Christian. Um, she also was illiterate for her life. Um, and she uh, she was kind of, I don't know, growing up in, in Mexico. That was, um, if people don't know the history, Chiapas is uh, the most indigenous uh, populated state in, in, in Mexico. So um, there was a big push to kind of uh, bring literacy and uh, and to like colonize again um, these communities in in the late 1800s and early 1900s in Mexico. And so, um, my great grandmother uh, was converted to Catholicism uh, from the Catholic, and um, that kind of started this journey for my family uh, in terms of uh, like needing to find a way to to relate to systems of oppression. Um, systems of power and and learning how to like fit and fit and make that work. My work is deeply related both to religion, spirituality, and also education. Um, so I, I tell the story that that my great grandmother um, was illiterate because my grandmother, my this is all on my maternal side. Um, my grandmother was one of the first school teachers in the state of Chiapas, um, and so. Uh, she became a teacher, I think, in her late teens, early 20s. And then um, it's actually really funny to walk through uh, Tuxla, the city that she lives in with her, because everyone uh, 
calls her profe. Uh, profesora. Uh, She's a celebrity. In, and she taught a lot of people in this city. <laughs> um, and so, and so, and then my grandmother um, ended up meeting some Protestant missionaries. And so my grandmother converted from Roman Catholicism to uh, becoming Presbyterian. And so there's this like move within my family of kind of um, assimilating both through religion and education. Um, so then when we get to my parents' generation, my mom and my um, uncles, um, there is a lot of like professionalism. So my, you know, I have like one uncle that's a doctor, one uncle that's a lawyer, one uncle that's an architect. And my mom was trained as a chemist and like now as a nurse and they all did higher education. And um, for them, like religion is, uh, I think, a, a part of their life and is also like deeply complicated in a lot of other ways. But for my mother, um, that kind of moved her and, and my father from Mexico to the United States, um, they moved for my dad's PhD program. Um, they landed in Salt Lake City, and they joined the Church of the Nazarene, which uh, is like Wesleyan and a little bit evangelical, and in parts of the country more fundamental. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it my story kind of um, is pulling at these threads of, of religion and spirituality and, and education. And um, so when we moved to San Diego, which is where I grew up, my dad got a teaching job at this Christian college here. And um, I was kind of embedded in this very white evangelical um, culture with the expectation that like um, I would really like excel in school and academics. And um, that that idea like I always assumed that I would get a PhD like it was not really um wasn't really like a question in my mind I don't have one <laughs> I don't plan on getting it. I have two master's degrees and that's enough um but yeah but the 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 narrative in my life was that like higher education was really important and so was having a really active um and uh engaged spiritual life um, that I think got complicated for me as a young person because of the ways that um, the concepts of God, the relationships of God to God, um, the the ways that they were being handed to me just like didn't make sense. And so, um, in my church, it was very like read your Bible and do your morning devotions, and um, I. I tried those things, but like, that's just one, not my rhythm. And two, I was like, well, I just feel like there's like more. And the thing that like, I just have questions. <laughs> and also like, I just, I'm 15, I'm 16. I, you know, I'm exploring relationships in school. I kind of want to go to some parties. I kind of want to drink. I don't think that makes me not a Christian. So what do I do with that? I had this like real sense of, um, I don't know god existing outside of the stories that i was being handed but also sure. not having yeah. anyone to really bounce that off of it is so really wondering for a lot of my adolescence like am i a christian what do i believe like is this all in my head i like pray in certain ways i like read my bible in certain ways but doesn't like resonate with anyone and so um what does that mean for me 
Um, and I ended up at a small Christian school for college. And that was, um, as you know, like most Christian universities are, like very complicated um, with their legacies, but also the ways they build community. And um, so most of my friends when I was in school left the church um, and I found my way into the theology department. <laughs> so um, I feel like every Christian college, <laughs> mine included, <laughs> Shout out to Greenville College. Yeah, um, like that. They're they're really good at doing that, right? Is it, like, is it. there's they're really good at presenting the unanswerable questions, right? And yeah. the, but then like the the place the, and the support to be able to have like the 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 conversation, the difficult conversation around them is somehow just either not there yet or needs to have or is not like i guess seen as the purview of the school as something they need to provide or is forbidden by like whatever policies of belief that they have to to like create the community yeah 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 (laughs) it and so we have to, we ended up having to build community in different ways, right? And um, yeah. and so that felt complicated too, because we, even as, you know, these late teens, early 20s, young adults, um, we're still pulling from conceptions of community that we grew up with. And so um, even as I think many of us were learning about like anti-capitalism for the first time and dumpster diving and you know, like solidarity with the unhoused and, um, but also just like not really knowing how to engage with the world in, in, in a, in a real way, because we were just learning how to do that for the first time. Um, and you know, most of my friends, um, or many of my friends were coming out as queer and like that really wasn't in the space that my school was holding very well, still is not holding very well. Um, and, yeah, so so there's for me was this real question of these parallel kind of tracks that were happening where my friends, where we'd grown up in very similar contexts, mind you, they were all mostly white, um, and I am not, and so I think there might have been some yeah. difference there. Um, they're kind of like there's a lot of hypocrisy in Christianity. I I weren't out, and like, and I was like, that's sure. valid, and for me. Um, I am starting to take these theology classes and starting to take some classes in spirituality and simultaneously working um, for a city program with um, low-income youth of color. And I'm surrounded by non-white people for the first time. And I'm like, well, actually, like, I think there's a place in this story for, like, the margins. And actually, like, the more I read about Christianity, the more I read about the mystics, the more I read about the monks, the more I read about folks that are, like, radically like subverting systems like the more i think that there's like actually a place for me here um and i am really kind of curious about like what that means and so um and why for some people it feels um it feels necessary to kind of believe and step out of um a system or a story and why for other people it feels like there's still potential within the system of the story to remain 
Um, that was, I think, a question I was holding in my early 20s. And so from there, I moved to Kentucky um, and I was newly married. I got married when I was 22. Um, uh, and so me and my now ex-husband moved out there so I could do this master's program in spirituality because uh, that's wow. what I was going to study. I was going to like figure out <laughs> what what is spirituality? What is this thing that connects us yeah. to each other and to God and I don't know. I was. Um, what is God? <laughs> <laughs> it was not idealistic, I don't think. Um, but there, you know, in hindsight, it was just like, wow, there was still like a lot of um, structure around something that over time has become more um, nebulous and vague. And so. Um, and all of that was happening at the same time as I was um, finding my way into the Episcopal Church uh, and also um, doing social work and really having to grapple with, um, you know, my own body living in Kentucky, um, my own just. Uh, and then when I was doing social work, working with, uh, you know, undocumented families, refugee families, uh, black families and foster families and uh really coming into this place where I was like wow there's like places where I have power and privilege and places where I really don't and so what does that mean and I <laughs> was totally alone in those wonderings and um and a lot of unraveling happened for me in my early 20s a lot of really like low points where I just like really couldn't feel God but also still knew that the divine was there and so there's just this like my 20s were very beautiful and very messy. Um, there was a lot of um, bumping up into people and communities and institutions and systems and learning. Um, and the more that I did that, I think I started to settle, but I also started to settle into um, just kind of clarity of... Um, Maybe the dissonance between like words and actions uh, of just like how easy it is to like say one thing and do another or how easy it is to like want to be something, um, but then like not have the capacity, the strength, the vision to figure out how to like actually like live into a new reality. Um, and so by the time I got to Connecticut, which is where we met, uh, I was in a really kind of deep deep uh, <laughs> unraveling um that was uh like years in the making uh so now i'm at yale divinity school i'm at yale this is kind of the culmination of of my great grandmother's illiteracy yeah uh and now here i am at an ivy and um i have you know in my family lineage moved from roman catholicism to protestantism to evangelicalism and now to this body that's like this is all like white christianity and like none of it makes sense to me like none of it makes sense with my body like none of it makes sense with my history none of it makes sense with my stories and i don't know what to do with this because now i've found myself in an institution that is actually the epitome of like white colonialism and like how how do i make sense of that and um the next that was 2016. The next four years were just, um, 
I just felt pummeled over and over and over. Uh, one, because there is a divorce that was happening. And two, because I was having to rethink my ordination. Um, but three, also, I think I was like really starting to see myself clearly and the work that I was being called to do, which was actually like no longer being embedded in an institution. And so then that totally reorients all of your relationships. Um, it like really, it cost me a lot um, to step into something that I knew was like really true for me, which was um, work of accompanying um, folks that feel that kind of restlessness with its systems um, and folks that are also kind of holding that tension of, uh, you know, the stories that shape me, form me and raise me are in many ways incompatible with um, like the stories and systems and spiritualities that um, I like live, work, play and pray it. And, and so yeah. what do I do with that? Yeah. Yeah, the... so that's my story. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's something that that really struck me. Isn't it? And I I suspect that this might dig a little bit deeper into the question of stories being held together like two I mean we we talk we talk a lot. I I, re I remember one of the things one of the catchphrases of 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 Yale in particular is like learning how to live in the tension. Um, and and like not lose yourself in the process. So one of the things that I heard you say, I think, I uh, if I want to make sure that I have it right, you talked about not being able to feel God, but still having a very clear sense of the divine. Isn't it? Um, and I would really love to tease out the the distinction there. Um, what do you yeah. think it is that causes that difference between what God is and what the divine is for you. Yeah. I think I grew up with this idea of um I don't know, like that a relationship with God would somehow mean this like constant presence or this like like physical physicality to god maybe um, embodiment yeah incarnation maybe yeah i mean yeah good words good theology words um we did we weren't using those words <laughs> I, I don't know if we were using those words in my church growing up but um it was more just the like god is your friend you know like i grew up evangelical so like the father like father god was, as you're praying like father god just and so like there was this sense of of like personhood maybe to to god um and i think i experienced maybe glimpses of that in my life but that's never really been how i've experienced god um for me like there's been something maybe more disembodied more transcendent to um to my spirituality and so that's i think why when i was a, a young person i was like i don't think i'm a christian because i am not experiencing god in these like material like tangible ways that everybody around me is talking about like for me um there was there was just mystery and 
it was not that it wasn't relational, but the relationship was not immediate is the word that's coming to me. Um, it felt more like, yeah, I know that there is a God because I am making ice cream at home with fresh blueberries from the farmer's market and like lavender that I picked from the, you know, like it was just like, Oof, there was like still a, my heart. <laughs> I know <laughs> there was like a step removed, maybe if that makes sense. Like it felt like there was something between me and God, but that God was like still in this thing that was in between, but mm. was not personified. And so that in many ways expanded how I experienced I think back then I, I would have still called it God and over time yeah. um, just kind of settling into um, yeah I guess like the the divinity in these like mundane moments and these like mundane experiences not mundane and that they didn't like mean anything but just that they were like um, yeah just like I, I don't know. It's still, I still don't have words for it. Like, it still just feels very, um, yeah, ineffable in many ways. Maybe that's, maybe that's the part of it that, yeah. I, I mean, at least from my experience of evangelicalism, um, that so much of, of what constitutes belief and being, um, in, and participating in belief is that there, there is a right belief. Um, and that it then and, and that there have to be specific um relationships perhaps like in like centered centered in personhood and and in human relationships that that need to need to be there need to be right need yeah. to be related to in order for for that particular flavor of christian spirituality to work yeah yeah, and I, I think for me, it was like, it never felt like those things were like wrong or bad. Um, um, it just wasn't my experience. And so yeah. it felt really important. Uh, and it still feels really important for me to say like, you know, if your spirituality like requires other other forms like that, I celebrate that, you know, like, I, like I think what I am always trying to get at is that similarly to this experience of love, like there's just so much more. Um, and that as we continue to move through life and our engagement with both our humanity and with our divinity um, and with those around us, both, um, you know, human and non-human alike, land kin, um, that like our conceptions of like love and the divine are also always kind of expanding and shifting and changing. And I think for folks that um, I think in my, in my work that I do with spirit school, I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, and one of the things that like comes up a lot is grief um, is again, this like the loss of um, loving and knowing in certain ways, right? That as you change, like that means that certain relationships can't actually like go with you 
And that includes relationships to institutions, that includes relationships to organizations, that includes relationships to communities, um, and, and like, and really orientations to your own identity. So, you know, if you are like a faith leader and you're in, in part of a, a faith community that no longer is resonating, what does that mean for your identity? Um, and that's like, you know, like that's also tied up in like, you're expanding conceptions of of the divine and the source and and self. Absolutely. I there's there's so much there um that that I suspect we'll probably circle back to, but I want to um I want to pivot a little bit and get yes. into spirit school um because I first started hearing about the genesis of spirit school from Instagram. Um, and you had this magnificent thing that sort of led into that, um, that I, I thought just sort of showed the genesis of like your thinking, um, that was the sort of totem that kept you consistently sharing with the world through this specific format, your thinking. And that was that you would do, um, you would do outfit for like <laughs> outfit of the day posts. <laughs> I did. And it would be yes. this, this like phenomenal post, like <laughs> long, like floor to ceiling length uh -huh. um, mirror. And <laughs> like it would, there would just be like so much incredible life and vitality in the photo. And yeah. then you would get to like the, the couple, the couple hundred words or so that just always touches <laughs> on like what you were working on. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I would love to know what the process is like from working it out in socials to uh -huh. getting to this place of, I mean, a school with modules and curriculum development and ironically, systems for learning. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Um well, I will say that the, I, the systems I use are not, um, well, I, I love getting dressed. Um, I, I have so much fun. I have so much fun getting dressed. It's one of my spiritual practices. It's one of the ways that I really um encounter my own um emotions um i yeah i think this like the playing with like textures and colors and shapes and prints and um and at least when i think about dressing myself like proportions and um you know just kind of like thinking about like what is what is happening on the inside and how is that going to like, how do I want to like present that out into the world? Knowing that there's like, for me, not a distinction between um, kind of the stories that I'm telling about myself um, and and the stories that like I want to share with the world. And so, um, yeah, it, it was funny. I, I don't even remember why I decided to start doing it. I think I just was Oh, I do remember. <laughs> I remember what happened. I started a new job. I started a new job in um, uh, an institution that was um, 
pretty quickly starting to kind of zap me of my like life and energy. And so in a lot of ways, um, getting dressed was an act of resistance. Um, it was a way for me to kind of subvert respectability politics and continue to, um, to choose to be myself in a system that did not expect my body to be in that space when, when it was conceived of. And so, um, I, every day I would get dressed and it's like, as time went on, I would get dressed and I was very angry. Um, I was very anxious. I was very depressed. I was just like all these like big, big emotions were really starting to like move through my body. And, um, what I was putting on were, there was armor in a lot of ways. It was, um, this like, like you don't own me. I own myself and I like, I stand in like my autonomy. I stand in my self-expression. I stand in like my, in my trueness. And, um, it was, there were moments, especially like when my, when a supervisor started following me on, on my Instagram. And then there was this tension of like, well, what do I keep sharing? Um, because I did feel like, I I didn't really hold back in those posts. I was pretty honest about the things that I was like processing and moving through, particularly related to that system and institution. Um, and I was like, I cannot stop talking about it just because, but the fear of like losing my job was actually always there. The fear of um, like, if I speak my truth, will that cost me like my stability? And so then there was this like moment of like, is my stability worth it? if it's going to like cost me myself is like having the salary is having the benefits is having the pension is having all of that like actually worth it if i have to compromise who i am and my integrity and uh ultimately like the answer was no for me like it was just like i can't i cannot do that um it is actually destroying my mental health, my emotional health, my physical health, my spiritual health. Like, it's not worth it. Um, so then what do I do? Um, and that really kind of opened up the space for me to start imagining, like, what like, what would I do? If I could do whatever the hell I wanted in this world, what would it be? And, um, and it was really scary because uh, I had no plan at never started a business before and I <laughs> um yeah just I literally had no idea what I was doing um and I I ended up really and I I still am and I you know want to own this piece of my story that I um have like a lot of support from my parents um financially and just like emotionally um and so in a lot of ways, I was able to take a risk because I had community around me that was um, just like willing to support a wild idea. Um, I remember just telling my dad, like, I, daddy, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And he's just like, that's okay. Like, that's why you do these things. Like, you don't know. You're not going to know for years. You know, like, it's probably going to take you a few years to like make any kind of money to kind of get like get clarity on like your direction. He's like, but he's like if this is the thing that you want to do like i'm going to support you doing it and so that's like that's a privilege a lot of people don't have as they're like kind of embarking in these new things 
um, maybe from from blood family. But I think that I think there's always support and encouragement from chosen family and the people that know us and they care about us and want to see us flourish. Um, but it does require a certain amount of vulnerability to accept that kind of generosity and support. And so that that's been a big learning for me. Um, but anyway, all that to say that um, even as I, and spirit school, honestly, even in two years has undergone so many iterations. Uh, I kind of like went in with an idea of like, okay, it's going to be this like online community and we're like going to gather. And um, a lot of what spirit school has been has been me learning about what, like what my strengths are and what, what I actually can offer. Not what I like wished I could offer, not what I hope to be able to offer, but what I actually have the capacity for like bringing it to the world, which are actually very different things. Um, yeah. And so there was a lot of having to kind of like renegotiate ideas of myself and um, shedding a lot of like shoulds and um, being really comfortable with like pivoting and um, kind of like taking a risk and quote unquote failing. Um, and, you know, there have been, and also I think for me in particular is like learning my own rhythm. Um, and so I am not the kind of person that can work day in, day out. Like I need a lot of rest. And so really for that first year of spirit school, like my body was just in like, like decompress mode. Um, and so I was really kind of trying to build something um, from a place of ease um, which meant that like there just wasn't a lot of push and I had to like wait for um, the inspiration to come when it wanted to come. I had to wait for the energy to come when it wanted to come. And uh, that was really scary at times because I was like, how am I going to make money if I am like listening to my body? Because <laughs> um, my body doesn't want to do anything. And so in this like capitalist system, like <laughs> that doesn't work. Um but I also was like, I really trust my body. And that's really around the time that I also discovered human design. Human design is a really body-centered system, even as it's like super logical at, at its core is that like our body knows, um, our body knows its strategy and it knows its authority. And so when we're kind of leaning into trusting those things, like the right movements will happen. And uh, yeah, so now spirit school is, uh, I think less of an actual community. Um, it, it's, it's a very dispersed community because I actually think the folks that I work with one-on-one -on -one are very connected. And, and I think there's still room for bringing some of that together down the road. But right now, Spirit School is more um, like a place for story sharing. And I think that's where I've been moving into um, this next year is I my gift is gathering people it's not in content creating and it's not in, um, I don't know, like universalizing. It really is in, in, in these kind of like individual stories and being able to see the connections that are kind of happening in the collecting. And I have this just like incredible gift of being connected to really amazing people that are engaging in decolonial work in their own context and with their own people and in their own ways. And so um, I really want Spirit School to be a hub for that kind of like story holding um, so that people can say, oh, well, like you want resources on X, Y, and Z. Well, like Spirit School is the place to go for that. 
Um, and it's less of me needing to be the teacher and more of us like learning with and alongside one another. Um, and that this isn't like a hierarchy, right? Like we don't have folks that are like no more are like the gurus. It's just like some of us are a couple of like steps further along and all like all that means is that we have a little bit more story to share. Um, but that doesn't mean that like our story is better or worse, like my story is better or worse than anybody else's. It just means that I have I've been on I've been on this like journey process that like will be for the rest of my life for a little bit longer than you have. And so I have a little bit more wisdom, but eventually you're going to be on your own journey and you're going to have your own wisdom. And so like, where is where is the container for that? And that's really what I want Spirit School to be. I'm just hearing you talk about it. And there's echoes of um, uh, Paulo Freer and Pedagogy of the Oppressed. There's echoes of of Maslow, like just thinking about like theories of like education and like knowledge of self. There are so many, as you said, um, body centric. Here's that word that theological word incarnational practices <laughs> that 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 advise the direction you are taking this work yeah. compared to all of the all of the other models of education and of knowing and ways of knowing that you could have chosen I mean, I don't think any of it was really conscious. Um, I was a psychology major, so you're right. Like Maslow, all of those like psychological, young, like all of that's there. Um, I think it's also kind of like it's shown up in different ways. And right now um, I'm spending time thinking about archetypes in different ways and um so there's a lot of like Carl Jung that kind of gets pulled out from there, but also, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. It's it's not conscious, and I and I think that's. Um, I think for for many of us, um, like being given permission to just like be able to intuit in your creation. Um, that you don't have to like consciously like sift through every single thing you've learned. Like really trusting that like the things that like were meant to land have landed. And so like when you go to create or build, you're you're pulling at things that are just like already like deeply a part of you. Um, and so someone else might be able to trace that like you just did. Um, but I don't sit down and think, oh, okay, I'm going to pull from Polyphery. Oh, okay, I'm going to pull from Maslow. You know, <laughs> but it, it, but it's there. But it's not because I um, am like trying to make those connections. But I think we're all so interconnected that it just ends up happening regardless. Like we build off of each other. And then we all also put our own individual spin on on the gifts that other people have already put out into the world. When you think about like the space of spirituality, which has been so central to the work that you've done, and spirituality expressed specifically in the context of perhaps a sense of structured religion um, that that you have so much experience with, 
structures of religion, business, like mm-hmm. it, there's that relationship too that I'm sure like we could spend hours talking about. But is there something that that, that structured, organized religion can learn from the fluidity and the the volatility of, of entrepreneurship? Um, or at least is able to learn. I, I, I mean, w- will they choose to learn is probably a different question, but is there something that, that organized religion could learn? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, spirit school is, is intuitive creation, but it's not individual creation. It is deeply connected to kind of like spirit prodding and kind of spirit urging and that requires having to posture myself differently in terms of time that's one thing um i think in terms of certainty that's another thing in terms of production i know there's more but especially okay in terms of time one that um i think time and production are, are actually really closely intertwined um but that we want things to happen quickly. And when you are building something from the ground up, there's no way of knowing how much time anything is going to take. I had vast plans <laughs> for spirit school that I was like, I will be able to do this in whatever, how many months time, how many days time, weeks time. And really like, there are things that I thought about two years ago that I'm like just now, two years in, starting to say, oh, okay, I can kind of see it. Like, I don't even see it. Like, I can just kind of see it. Like, I'm starting to kind of get an outline for the, like, this form of something. Um, And so I think I've been a person in the past that's like, I need to know. Like, I need, like, I, I need to Well, and I guess certainty is like a part of that, right? Like I need to know now, like, and I need to be sure. And and I can't do something until it's like fully formed, fully concrete. And the only way that you come into any kind of certainty is like over time. But even over time, that sense of certainty is going to change. So like you may have this idea of like production, like a product that is completely upended both through like time and like the knowing that accompanies that so what does that mean for like structured religion i mean i think we i think one of the things that i see is is that we're a lot of people are trying to or wanting maybe trying wanting to move more towards this like fluidity in their spirituality um, at the very least, like wanting to learn how to hold multiple stories at the same time, multiple systems at the same time, and structured religion can either choose to create space for that or not. But if it doesn't, I don't know. Like, I don't, <laughs> I think for structured religion, um, it's commandeered time for centuries. It's oriented the world to its own time. And I personally feel time being unbound in a lot of ways. That's going to be a real struggle for something that has relied on time in certain ways. Structured religion has also necessitated an amount of certainty in order for there to continue to 
be like movement in that. I think I think it's going to need to create space for uncertainty. I think also <laughs> Christianity in particular um, has made humans products. You are saved into something, right? Like you then become a means of production for a system to continue to expand across the world. And so can we can we see humans as not something that uh, are needed in order for something to endure? I don't know. That this feels very like fuzzy to me and I'm just kind of talking it out. So I'm like, I do I believe this? Do I not believe this? I don't know. There I feel like there's some something true in there, but I'm not entirely sure. Um the connection just yet. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, we'll just have to have you back on the show in a year and like see <laughs> see like what what you've discovered because yes. that I, I, I well, I just feel like that that relationship, like of, of all like whether it's organized religion, whether whether it's specifically it's like Christian like Christianity, mm-hmm. which I suspect is easy for you and I to talk to because we, like that's that's a religion that both both of us have practiced um, over time for most of our lives, um, and then and then economics, like the way that the way that we, and specifically to distill that down, like the way that we communicate value to each other, mm-hmm. and and because value is so tied up in 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 meaning, that like the the right. way that we right. communicate meaning is right. is a uh, a measure of value and. And yeah. and that measure of value as as a state of a- economics becomes somehow intertwined with human. Well, I mean to you to use an Episcopal term because that's common to both of us becomes <laughs> intertwined. Value becomes intertwined with human dignity. Yeah, I think you got the threads that I was trying to put out there. <laughs> You're kind of weaving them together. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that I don't know. Like that. Like that's may- so TBD on this conversation. <laughs> this question of how we find meaning in the place of spirituality mm-hmm. in a world that is so defined by money <laughs> as the tangible expression of relationship i think is just going to linger with me for some time because we all have to eat yeah i think i i am kind of also I had to do a lot of work around the relationship between spirituality and money when I was starting my business um, because there was a part of me that was just like, this is wrong. You know, like you, like spirituality is something that belongs to people. Yeah, like it just, like it it feels, maybe it's just because like that's how it feels for me, but it just, it feels so tender um, it feels so, um, I don't know, like it is something that has been and continues to be abused. Um, like spiritual authority is something that um, has caused a lot of harm. And so what, like how do I provide spiritual support um, in a way that is um ethical and is um compassionate and is grounded um and that like also recognizes that um i'm doing something really unique um and i have like very particular gifts um that 
like I do deserve to be compensated for. And so there's this a, a question of like, um, maybe, maybe the question is of like mutual worthiness, right? Like your spirituality is like worthy of being held in a certain way. And like my spiritual gifts are worthy of being um, matched in a certain way. And so my hope is that like as the folks that I work with, um, as our relationship unfolds, then they're empowered to um, then provide spiritual support and in transformed ways as well. And so I think this is like the place that requires the most trust for me. Um, and it's still a question of like, what is ethical spiritual support in a like late stage capitalist world <laughs> um, that our structured religion has contributed to the formation of um, and thus like folks no longer feel like they can trust spiritual spaces and institutions. And so then what does that mean for the work that those of us who are engaging in, in spiritual work in, in new ways and ways that are really trying to be like radical and disruptive? Um, where do we fit into all of that? And I think over time, I think that spirit school will actually have some of those answers. Um, but right now it's still in the unfolding. So I don't have too much to, to say yet. I can't wait to see what that becomes how spirit school um to 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 call back one of the words that you used very early on in our conversation um what sort of what the container of yeah. learning that spirit school is allows to germinate yeah from the stakeholders the the beautiful souls and inspirations that you haven't even met yet okay i i can't yeah. wait yeah me too i have one final question for you all right um what do you want the world to look like when you're done with it mm. Um, I was, uh, scrolling on Instagram the other day and, uh, I like stumbled on this artist. I, I don't, couldn't even tell you the name of the person. Um, but they had these kind of like dystopian, maybe utopian, who knows, uh, photography that was, is kind of like. It was very surreal, but it was photography. But yeah. I, I couldn't t tell like what was real or, or what wasn't. But essentially, it was um, kind of this like I think it was like LA landscapes, but um, they were just like covered in overgrowth, and so uh, there was this like real sense of like land reclaiming, um, like the the harms that like humans have caused um so i have that image and at least for me like there's still humans in that picture there weren't humans in the picture yeah. but i think about like what would it look like for us to really um no no i i hope the world is like slowly starting to 
allow for like a regrowth. Um, and that's, that's like, it feels like a really big stream, uh, just because it would require like so many people to, to, to let go. Um, and it would require a lot of people to face that creep. Um, and I, I don't know if we're quite ready as a collective to experience like mass grief. Um, I think we mm. were handed opportunities for that in the last few years. And um, there are like glimpses of, of the potential for that. Um, I think I'll like wrap it up by saying that like, I think grief is really generative. I think grief is um, the place that like new dreams and imaginations can grow out of. Um, yeah, yeah. Like new ways of loving grow out of that grief just to bring it back full circle. And so um, I like, I hope for a world that um, is maybe in the process of like, that deep grief. Yeah. Maybe I'll say that. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. It was a really special conversation. I appreciate it. My thanks to Erendira Jimenez Esquinka. You can check out her website at erendirajimenez.com. You can check out Spirit School at spiritschool.us. And you can listen to her podcast, I Don't Know, everywhere you listen to podcasts. You can follow her and Spirit School on all social media platforms at the links in the episode description. Thank you so much for tuning in to Uncommon Good with Polly Reese. This program is produced in Southwest Philadelphia on the unceded land of the Lenny Lenape tribe and the Black Bottom community. If you enjoyed listening to the show, please support us by leaving us a five-star review and a comment and subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help people find us. Uncommon Good is also available on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at Uncommon Good Pod. Follow us there for closed, captioned video content and more goodies. We love, love, love questions and feedback. You can send us a DM on social media or an email at UncommonGoodPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, wishing you every uncommon good to do your uncommon good to be the uncommon good. <laughs>